0: This is Working the Beat. It is Thursday, May 21st, 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney. Mike Kern will join us in a minute. As we get you caught up on the world of sports. As we get ready for Memorial Day weekend, we are at the unofficial beginning of summer. Even though it's going to feel different for a lot of us. I know some people still planning on going to the shore. Others are. Going to stay at home, maybe do a barbecue at their house. We'll talk to Mike about that a little later on. Mm, some of his favorite Memorial Day things. I was—I've uh, said this on the past. I think Memorial Day is one of the more overrated shore days because it's too cold to use the water. It's crowded as hell, and you know, I just never got it. So, uh, but that's me, and others do, and that's what's important. Coming up on today's show, it's uh, Inquirer Phillies beat writer uh, Scott Lauber. Will join us. Scott uh, is come out with a book, The Big Fifty, which details some of the seminal moments of the Philadelphia Phillies' history. <clears throat> and um, Scott used to work, obviously, at the Wilmington News Journal. Went to Boston, uh, worked at the Boston Herald, and at ESPN covering the Red Sox. Then come back, came back. I want to say three years ago now um, uh, to work with our buddy Matt Breen. And Scott, or I'm sorry, I almost said uh, Scott Lawler. No, Scott's on the beat with Mike Breen and Bob Brookover. So uh, they are on that. We'll talk to him about what he expects also as uh, negotiations start picking up about whether we're going to resume a season here or not in the next uh, couple weeks. uh, There was an interesting story on The Athletic this morning about how this is pretty much uh, the 67 page plan that baseball put out was pretty much just the proposal and that he expected, uh, that they expected a lot of tweaks, positive and negative. One about the showers, obviously, you know, they baseball had said they didn't want anybody showering. Now maybe there's going to be time showers, which ought to be good. Uh, but we'll talk to Scott who, uh, former BBW, um, AA chairperson here in Philadelphia as well about kind of what he expects, because one of the shows we're going to look at doing, In early June, and we've reached out to a couple people who have agreed to come on. Is how the games are going to change uh when we do get back from the virus, and one of the ways they're going to change is the way we cover them. Yeah, you know, will will papers and outlets go and travel? Will press boxes be open? Uh, will we be relying on Zoom calls? um Going to be fascinating. Well, broadcasters broadcast with it. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting thing. Uh, Andrew Marchant at the New York Post had a good story today, and he talked about uh, talking to Marv Albert and Al Michaels and John Sterling about that very thing. And, you know, it's something that, you know, we've talked a lot about the new norm. This is going to be part of the new norm for a lot of us as well. So uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll get Scott's thoughts on that as well. But then we'll have that in early June. <clears throat> Uh, Thank you for all the feedback we've had on the Deuces Rogers interview and all the interviews we've had here in the last couple weeks. We got a couple other ones uh, lined up. Jim Gardner has agreed to be on the show. We're hoping to get him at some point in early June. Um, Ruben Amaro has agreed to be on the show. Uh, And so we'll have Ruben. Uh, Like I said, we're going to have that round table. We're working on a couple other people. So uh, hopefully some good things coming up here in the not too distant future. Hopefully as we begin to get ready for sports, but when we come back, Mike rejoins, Mike will join us and we'll be joined by Scott Laubert to talk about <clears throat> the big 50, the Phillies and where everything's going. And by the way, I apologize for my allergy cough right now. That's all it is. It's an allergy cough. But back after this here, on am working the Beach. looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Working the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports craze town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Working the Beat podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia and you can be a part of it. That's 267 546 7277 or beat at gmail.com to join the Work the Beat podcast family. And joining us now, uh, the longtime uh, baseball beat writer, uh, started well, starting these parts at the Wilmington News Journal, then went to Boston. Covered the Red Sox for the Herald and ESPN, then came back and has been at the Inquirer now three years, I believe, uh, and is the author of the book "The Big 50 about the Phillies. It's Scott Lawler. Scott, how are you?
1: Hey guys, how are you?
2: Uh, three years, correct, back here.
1: Three, yep. Would
2: be Man, time flies. Yeah. Would be yeah, he, he was, came right. He came right as I was leaving. I think right. <laughs> that's not a coincidence. Anyway, uh, hey, I wasn't the baseball writer. <laughs> <there. laughs>
0: um. All right, so we'll get to the book in a, in a little bit here, Scott, but let's get to the obvious issues of the day. Uh, the Athletic reports this morning that players and executives kind of expect that 67-page health memo to get addendums uh, put on it, some stuff taken in, some stuff added on. Or um, What do you think is likely on that front from uh, Major League Baseball? And how much closer are we than we were this time last week to a season?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, so I, people I've talked to this week, you know, look, MLB um, MLB put out the 67-page manual and said up front, this is a first draft. So I think they expected that there's going to be some give and take here, you know, some negotiation here. And let's face it, that was a pretty um, – it was detailed. It was thorough. Uh, it was also – there were some austerity measures taken in that manual that I think players and teams are going to look at and they're going to say, whoa, wait a minute here, like no showering at the ballpark? Like how's that going to work? And, um, you know, it seems like they want to be way, way more restrictive on the road than they want to be at home. And, you know, are they sort of, are they sort of trying to, uh, to appease players on one hand and, and the medical people on the other hand? Testing is not going to be daily. I've heard some players say – I think we need daily testing if we're going to be able to pull this off. So, um, you know, things and then, then smaller things, or at least things that seem smaller, like access to indoor batting cages, um, you know, other restrictions that are going to be put upon them at the ballpark, not being able to use the the sauna and the uh, and the hot tub and training rooms, things that guys kind of need if they're going to have their bodies ready to play every day. So, or at least that they're used to having. So I'm sure there's going to be some push and pull here. I am a little surprised as we sit here right now that it's Thursday uh, that we haven't heard uh, much amendment to this yet because time's ticking. I mean, they have to get something uh, finalized, I would think, by early June if they want to be able to pull this off by July 4th.
2: Mike? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's to me, Scott, and, and Kevin, I've been talking about this. It's all, all of these sports, I don't care what they say, it's about money. You, you can, we can talk safety all we want, and I'm sure there's going to be every safety precaution that they can possibly take. But Mark, Mark Teixeira was on one of the shows this morning and basically said it all. it's all going to come down to money. If you know they have to do this, um, I think they will. I think all the sports will, whether they'll be able to pull it off or not. But I just wonder, do you think the players, like if it wasn't for the money or the great – are they really in on this? I mean, do they really want to play given all the, the things that they're going to have to go through probably? Uh, or is it just that, hey, it's my job, I make a lot of money, a lot of them, and I got to do this?
1: My sense is that it's a it's a pretty representative cross-section of, of a lot of businesses right now in the country where some people, given their circumstances, feel fine about going back to their office or going back to their workplace and being around other people. Some people, given their circumstance, don't feel as comfortable. So I, I you know, I don't want to generalize, but I would imagine that maybe some of the players who are younger, who are single, who don't have families, who um, are making less money to go back mm-hmm. to the money issue, sure. they, they might be a little bit more eager to jump back into this thing, even if there are uh, even knowing the risks. Uh, there are players whose wives are expecting. They're not all that keen on going back right now. There are guys who uh, maybe like Sean Doolittle has tweeted quite extensively about this, about his wife who has asthma. So she has an underlying condition. So he's concerned about going back to work and then coming home after games and not knowing what he's bringing into his house. So I think it's pretty, it's pretty mm-hmm. similar to people across the country um, in terms of how comfortable or not they feel. I think it ranges – based on your
2: circumstances. Scott. And there is no, per, there is no perfect answer. I mean, no. it's like, because Los Angeles is not uh, Seattle is not Kansas city. I mean, that's just the, the nature of this. I think the real interesting thing, Scott is not how they started, but how they're going to deal with things and things are going to happen. Maybe not serious, maybe serious, who knows, but how they're going to deal with them as they go through this. That's what I think is going to be the real test.
1: Yeah, I agree. What, um, you know, one of the things that sort of a, um, uh, goes against what the CDC is recommending, you know, for as for as strict as some of baseball's protocols seem, one thing that's not as strict is how they plan to handle a positive test. You know, they, they're saying that they don't feel that there's going to be a need to quarantine that player for two weeks and
2: mm-hmm. shut the
1: league down. I mean, Ben Lively and David Buchanan are playing over in South Korea. I talked to them like a month and a half ago when they were just starting to kind of get back onto the field there in spring training. And those guys were like, it's pretty well understood in Korea that if there's a positive test, they shut the league down for three weeks. And MLB is saying that they don't feel like that's going to be required. And I think players want to know more about that. I think they want to know more about what's going to happen uh, if and when, well, it's really when somebody tests positive and how, how these isolate and contain protocols are going to work because it's kind, of, it's kind of less, it's more lenient than what... Um, what some of the federal, uh, you know, what the federal guidelines have been.
0: Scott, w- you know, and Mike talked about the financial end. There's there's a couple end of this that that I find interesting. One, look, the Bryce Harpers, the Mike Trouts and everything, they're going to be fine. And I know at a time when there's 20% unemployment, it's tough to say to people, boy, some ball, paper, ball players are going to struggle. But you and I have run the players who, quite frankly, live paycheck, paycheck the paycheck because they probably out, expend with housing, cars, Hmm. everything. And those are the people who I think probably will be the most likely, as you said, to maybe get back because they can't afford to sit out 18 months, can they?
1: Not not with some of the lifestyles that they lead. So it's going to require some lifestyle changes. There's no question about it. I mean – you know, I think a really vastly underreported uh, part of all this is the minor league element of it because yeah. they're probably not going to come back. There's really not any point to playing in front of no fans in the minor leagues where there's no TV revenue and, and, and revenue streams are almost 100% driven by the gate. And, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, most minor leaguers don't make much Squat, money at all. Right. They're seasonal employees, uh, they have to get jobs in the offseason. They're playing because they can. And I think ultimately, if they have to sit out a season, a lot of them are going to say, "I can't do this anymore. I have to quit and join the you know join the working world." And you know that's too bad in a lot of ways.
0: And there's also a lot of franchises that won't survive it. Forget the forty that baseball wants to lob off anyway. You're talking about some other ones in some other markets that
1: that are locally owned. Yeah, who cannot absorb? Yeah,
0: can't can't absorb that hit. Um, baseball has said. Uh, about the revenues that, in some cases, you know, that playing without fans, in a, in essence, will cost them money. And it's obviously going to cost them money. They're not going to get the gates and everything. But the key for them is getting October or the playoffs, which may be November. Um, and that may be the tricky part, because if you play a whole season and you're basically losing money as you go along, and you get to October and then there's a second wave that forces you to shut it down... That's almost like the worst-case scenario at this point, isn't it?
1: That's kind of – if that's not the nightmare scenario, it's close to it. I mean, you know, they have to have a season in order to have a postseason, which is where the big money bonanza really comes in for TV. And, um, you know, unlike the NBA and NHL, which I I suppose could theoretically come back and say, all right, 80% of our season has been played, season over, playoff start, we have have enough of a sample of a season to say that we can have a postseason baseball has had no season. So unless they were going to like do some sort of crazy draft tournament sort of deal where they were going to just, just stage a postseason, uh, they've got to get to the postseason. And I have my doubts about whether they're going to be able to do that. I mean, I hope I'm wrong about this, but I could certainly see a scenario where they come together for spring training, two or three guys on one team test positive and they shut the whole thing down. And um, you know, who knows? And that's
2: so, worse. I mean, it I mean, is worse. Yeah, because, because, because now you're playing with health. The, it's one thing to shut the country down once, and we can sort of live with that. Shutting the country down twice, man, I, I, I that's, that's going to be tough.
1: And, and like you said, Kevin, what happens if you do happen to get through, you know, July, August, and September, and now you're into October, you're ready for your postseason. You've had this weird 80-game season anyway, and now you're ready for – what everyone's waiting for, especially from a money standpoint yeah. and boom, we're hit with it again. And
0: you've, you've paid all the players for your regular season because players do not get paid except for their playoff share in the postseason. So basically if you're an owner, you're basically putting everything on your credit card and then the income you're expecting, you're expecting isn't going to happen. That's where the problem would be for a lot of owners is if you don't get to a postseason where you would have, and you've already paid out your regular season expenses. Um, what do you see
2: – Mike, do you have a question? I'm sorry. I, I, well, once, Kevin, one thing that you've talked about a lot that I wanted to ask Scott was you're one year away from a CBA. Mm-hmm. That actually is where I was six, going. Go ahead. And ha- well, then you ask it because you'll ask it better than I will. Go All ahead. right. This is also in
0: an atmosphere where the CBA talks next year we're going to be contentious anyway because of what happened with – the 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 set, uh, the service time issues there's yeah you know, the the slow markets there's some belief there's been collusion you know especially with the harder Mach- harper machado class and all that and now you throw it in the disc how bad is the atmosphere between the MLBPA and the commissioner's office right now?
2: and how mu- and how might that impact them reaching an agreement to play this year yeah because kevin's made it sound like that could be a real deterrent. Yeah, I mean, look,
1: there's 40 years of distrust between these two sides. Um, and I think if you told players that we want you to accept a 50-50 revenue split or revenue share for one year and it's a one-off and it goes back to normal next year, I don't know if they trust the owners enough to agree to it. I don't think they do. And that, at the heart, that's to me, is at the heart of all of this, is that they don't trust one another. I do wonder, though, whether they're going to be able to tackle some issues now that are gonna come up during the C that were gonna come up anyway during the CBA, and maybe this is giving them a bit of a head start. I don't know. Maybe that's the, the half, glasses half full way to look at this is that they're getting a head start on talking about some of these issues that they were gonna to have to get to anyway, and now the negotiating window, even though they're negotiating for a shortened season in 2020, not for a new CBA, maybe the, maybe the negotiating for the new CBA really kinda of starts now. Maybe that's what the good is that comes out of all this if there's anything. That's-
0: well, it's mm-hmm. funny because it's funny you mention it that way because I've said to a couple of people we know um, that I almost would be willing, and I know this would be bad for the industry to sit out for 18 months. I get it, and the attention, especially if the NBA and the NHL come back and the NFL, well, the NFL's going to start because the NFL's willing to do anything it can for a dollar. Um, but given this, would it almost be better to get all these issues out of the way now? Almost say, 2020 is lost. Get this, you know, but then you're basically saying, okay, we're starting on our CBA and we're going to have it where the goal is March 29th next year, whatever opening day would be. We have our CBA. We're locked in for seven years of labor health. Here we go.
2: Kevin, doesn't that make them look bad though if the other three sports do play? Well,
0: th- yeah, but the question is are you promoting the long term health of the game more than the okay. imedi- immediacy? Okay. Scott,
1: I don't know. I don't know if they're going to look quite that far ahead. Um, you know, I, I think they want to play this year if they can. Also, I mean, you, you still have 2021 on the old CBA. So yeah. I think I think what you're saying is to suggest to kind of just like rip up 2021, play it under a new CBA and move forward. I don't think they're going to do that. I think that they're going to – the new CBA will be the new CBA effect of 2022 – I think they'll play under the current one in 2021. I just wonder if this gives them a little bit more lead up. to start Rather than starting those talks like midway through next year, they're starting it now in a way, even though a lot of the issues that they're dealing with are not necessarily linked to the next CBA. They can at least begin to have that conversation in the midst of this
2: one. Not that this one is not enormous enough. Scott, let's assume they reach some kind of an agreement. They go to spring training. There's nothing massive that happens in spring training, so they get through that. What kind of product could we expect? I mean, obviously people won't be in interested, but what do you think the product will be like? We know it's going to be different. Is it yeah. going to be baseball as we know it because baseball's baseball, baseball, or is, it, or is it going to be not what we're used to seeing you know, under normal circumstances?
1: Oh, I think the casual fan is going to be just fine with it because the bases will still be, you know, 90 Mm -hmm. feet apart and the pitcher will still be 60 feet, six inches away. And the rules are going to be the rules within the game are going to be basically the same. Uh, So I think the casual fan and I think the, let's just say this up front, I think the TV ratings are going to be through the roof because people are desperate for something to watch. They're watching Korea in the middle of the night, they're going to watch this. And, uh, and, and that's, that's huge for the game. Um, but you know, look, it's going to look different from the standpoint that, um, rosters are going to be bigger. You know, I, I, we've heard as much as 30 on the active roster, maybe 50 with a taxi squad. Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to have, you know, certain, um, you know, you're going to have certain things outside the game that are going to change the game. Uh, you know, pitchers, for example, I can't imagine starting pitchers are going to be going more than three innings at the beginning of all this because spring training is not going to be six weeks. It's going to be more like two and a half or three. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to have the ability to get stretched out enough to go six or seven innings in a game. Bullpens are going to be hugely important. Depth is going to be hugely important. If you're not, if you don't have a, a really deep 40 man roster, you're in trouble because you're going to need all of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to Bob Brookover over this morning, my colleague, and we were talking about how the rosters are going to work like do you just does does everyone who plays in a game have to be on the 40 man roster and then what does that mean for the you know 10 guys on your taxi squad who aren't 40 man roster guys can they
2: and who gets who gets to sit in a dugout and who has to sit in level you know section 102 yeah does the taxi <laughs> squad even travel with the main
1: <laughs> squad i don't i don't think so i think they probably travel 30 guys or Thirty-two guys plus staff, and leave the rest of them at home. I think they want to keep those traveling parties tight. So, what happens though if somebody gets hurt and you need to make a call up? Can you get a guy in a commercial flight and get him to wherever you are, and 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 have him join your team, or does he have to quarantine? Uh, you know, so outside of the game, there are going to be infinite uh, infinite number. We've already talked about what's what they're going to have access to in the training room, uh, mm-hmm. hot tubs and whatnot. Uh, will they be able to use indoor batting cages during the game? Uh, so pitch hitters will have somewhere to take some swings. doesn't but, sound but do you like it. Think not right the now. Product,
2: do you think like Bryce Harper is going to be Bryce? Like, like what we kind of expect to see most year that we'll see that, like, you know, Yelich and Bellinger will be two of the best players in the league or, or is it going to maybe take on different uh, dimensions, so to speak? It's a great question. Um, you, you would think, right. that
1: talent usually uh, is talent. So, mm-hmm like if I'm better than you at that, you know, at whatever, then I'm still going to be better than you. Even if I have, even if we both have less time to get ready for it. Uh, but you know, there's no doubt about it. There are going to be abnormalities. I mean, we're going to be explaining to our grandkids uh, years from now, like when they ask us what the heck happened in that 2020 season, why did, you know, why did Bryce Harper's numbers look so much different than every other year? We're going to have to explain why that was and what happened and, and uh, and all of that. So there's no doubt it's going to be a very different year. And then the playoff format's going to be different. It sounds like it's going to go to, you know, maybe 14 teams. You're maybe going to have some, you know, this is the year if they can actually get on the field and play. This is the year to experiment with all that funky stuff yep. that we hear about with baseball. Like if you want to put a guy on, the, on second base in the 10th inning to try to break a tie, this is the year to try that. And if you don't yeah. like it, throw it out. Never, you never have to see it again. But why not? Why not give it a try now? Weird stuff is going to happen all year long.
2: Because we also have we have those rules. I'm not even sure of them. But Kevin, but I'm sure like with the relief pitchers now, like you know, guys well, has to face yeah play.
0: the three pit the three hitter rule. I would uh, think
2: that's going to stay because
1: now you're going to have more pitchers.
0: Pitchers, yeah. Uh, I should as we're uh, recording this, I should point out there's a story from Jim Salisbury uh, coming on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Uh, the Phillies will likely train in Philadelphia as opposed to go back to Clearwater, uh, according to multiple sources. Uh, they can use Citizens Bank Park, uh, the FDR Academy down the street, which has two full size diamonds, and they also have access to Allentown and Reading if need be. For every- I'm assuming
2: no, no, um, there would be no spectators, even if the spectators, Kevin, no. were really far away.
0: No. no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have no. spectators. Not at the outset. Not at the outset. Okay. Um, okay. Scott, which brings me to the Phillies. I mean, you, you know, you got a good glimpse of six weeks of well, not six weeks. I guess it was four, four. Of, of them under Jerry. Yeah, but
2: that was two and a half months ago. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: It's almost like it's almost like it just erases from your memory.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Think about it. You would be getting if, if in a normal season, you would be like through Christmas at this point in an off season and getting ready to like get on the on the banquet circuit with with them. Um. When you think about it, though, under Joe Girardi, you know, it looked like at spring training there was more, a little more organization. Is that fair to say or not?
1: Uh, I think that's fair to say. I think there was a little bit more. Um, there was a little bit more normalcy. I think is <laughs> the best way that I put it. Um, <laughs>
2: would, would you, you like know, to clarify the subject of the non-normalcy?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just think that there was a little bit more. Uh, more organization, more structure, more of what you're used to seeing in a typical baseball camp. And it's funny because one of the first days that they were there, they did a base running drill. And Girardi ended the base running drill by having guys uh, uh, basically run the bases in their home run trot. And we thought, well, this is weird. And I said to someone, I said, can you imagine what we'd be writing about tomorrow if this was Gabe yeah. Kapler who was oh. doing this drill? Yeah. And we asked Girardi about it afterwards, and he said, quite simply, he wanted guys to, to, to realize that how important it was to run from the start. So, you know, out of the box, run hard, and then if you want to ease into your home run trot, you can ease into your home run trot. But it was like a reinforcement of that, hey, look, you know, this is how we're going to play the game. This is what we're going to do. And so it was like, okay, good answer. Good answer. And, you know, whatever from Gabe, we probably would have gotten something more like I wanted their individuality to shine through, or <laughs> I wanted them to present themselves in a certain way. Like, there would have been an answer that was not exactly what you're used to hearing from a baseball manager after a baseball drill, and that was what uh, I think a lot of people weren't ready for, uh, at least in Philadelphia. All, we weren't
0: ready for all, that sort. all coming from a chair right under a picture of Gandhi, which is what uh, Gabe had. Um What's wrong with Gandhi? You I'm just saying it, it's weird when you know. walk in and it's Gandhi and Einstein. And there was... some of the
2: top figures of the 20th century, pal. I know. Deep thinkers, man.
0: Yeah. But come on. We've sat <laughs> in that office and in, in the past and there hasn't always been those type of pictures up. A lot of family pictures, everything, but not, not the deep thinkers. Well, you were, yeah, I want
2: this. the guy, I want the guy that has the picture of the Jack in the box clown. That's
0: I, what I, I want. Understand. <laughs> um, does having Girardi, having a veteran manager who's been through this, well, who's been through a lot of stuff, not this, nobody's been through this, help whenever they do get back?
1: I don't know. I think I, – I don't know that there's a whole – that there's much of a roadmap for it. Um, you know, I I, I think – what do you draw on? I guess you draw on things like coming back from 9-11, although that was a week um, – you you know, I've asked people about the eighty one strike because to me the eighty-one strike was really the one the one the one thing that from a time standpoint might have been somewhat comparable. They yeah. went out on June tenth or something like that. They didn't know when they were coming back. It was two months before they were back playing games again. So if you're a pitcher, what what do you do without knowing? Uh but I've been told I mean I asked Brian Price this question last week. I said, you know, did you do you look into um the 81 strike and, and all of that. And he said, no, because that was 40 years ago. Like training methods are completely different now than they were 40 years ago. Like we know more about, about pitching now than we did 40 years ago. Like it's just, there really is no, no, nothing to use as a, as a roadmap here. So you know, look, I think the one thing that already brought when, when in spring training part one was a little bit of gravitas and sort of like respect to that position. Like, you do that job in New York for 10 years, managing the Yankees, arguably the most high profile team in pro sports, not just baseball, and you survive that for 10 whole years, for a decade, you're going to walk into a room and there's going to be a little bit more of like, oh, here he is. Here, here's the man who's in charge. And I I just think that 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 was sort of the the main difference uh, was that everyone knew who was in charge when he spoke it carried a little bit more weight and than most managers not just Gabe Kapler mm-hmm. and
2: I think that was I think that was the main difference more than anything else. Yeah, Scott, with what you said about the the pitching, how the pitching is probably going to be different at least at the outset. We've been told the Phillies bullpen might not be one of their strengths. Is this going to be a problem for them or or you know, the fact that they do have 10 or 12 guys that might be fighting for bullpen spots, could that help them? Because if nothing else, they'll probably have a lot of bodies out there.
1: Yeah. On paper, I don't I don't think it's a strength at all. I mean, I thought – look, I thought going into a normal season, pitching depth was going to be uh, an issue for them, not just in the bullpen but in the rotation too. Like, once you get past, you know, Nola, Wheeler, Arrieta – Eflin and whoever number five was, whether it was Pavetta or Velasquez. Then you have the other one, Pavetta or Velasquez, and you have maybe Cole Irvin and Spencer Howard. You know, one good thing is that they won't have to worry about Spencer Howard's workload yeah. because he's not going to hes not going be overtaxed this year. Uh, they were worried. He only threw 99 innings last year. How are we going to maximize his innings so that he's fresh when we need him and when he's ready late in the year? Well, he's going to be fresh. They're all going to be, you know – they're So that's not much of it. I could see putting him in the rotation on day one of a shortened season and just leaving him there and and he'll come in right where he needs to innings wise. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a plus, but I didn't think pitching depth was was an advantage of theirs going into a normal season. And then we don't know. I mean, you might have to subtract Sir Anthony Dominguez from that mix. I mean, there might be surgery awaiting him when he comes back and, um, you know, I, it's not like it's going to speed up David Robertson's timetable at all. That was still going to be a late season thing if it was going to happen at all. So yeah, I, I question their, their pitching depth, but we'll see. Uh, I think everyone's going to be wondering how deep they, they really go.
0: Scott coming into the year, I think it was fair to say Matt Cluntak at least, and maybe even Andy McPhail were both on the hot seat. They can't be on a hot seat now after, even if there's an 80 game schedule, can they? I don't, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think that uh, like you can't judge a team's performance this year towards a manager or a GM. I mean, not just those two, uh, those two guys I'm talking about across the board as an industry.
1: Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, look, if you were going to, if they don't play well um, in the 82 games or whatever it is, and, and you want to fire Clintack and your argument for doing so is that they weren't, they weren't going to be good enough anyway in a normal season. Then why did you go into the season with him in the first place? Yeah. You know, so I, I would think if you're going to make any judgments based off of a shortened season, that's going to be a, that's going to be a difficult sell to make. Uh, I, I think I don't know if everyone's going to get a mulligan per se across the board. Managers and front office people, they're going to be firings. There always are. But how Maybe do you explain? Maybe less so. I think less so. How do you explain firing a general manager, let's say, off of a you know poor performance in a fluky season? Because I think you're going to see good teams that don't play well, and you're going to see teams that aren't as good, uh, you know, do well. I mean, look, the Phillies after 82 games the last two years were either a playoff team or like right there. Yeah. You know, and it was the last half of the year that they really faded and folded and collapsed. So, 82 games. I think the judgments have to have to either get thrown out the window, or they at least have to get. You just have to grade on a different kind of scale.
2: Scott, has anybody? And I know it's probably too early in the equation, but I'm sure they've thought about it. how is the media going to be allowed to chronicle what's going on? Uh, or because there's got to be rules for you guys. I'm guessing there're going to be different papers are going to have to make decisions, TV crews, whatever. But do you have any idea in your head what it might be like? Trying to cover a sport that you know basically is quarantining itself.
1: Well, I've thought about it a lot. You know, as you can imagine. I mean, it's, look, it's what we do. You know, um, so I've thought about that. Like, uh, what's access going to be like? Um, you know, what kind of restrictions are going to be put upon us? If that sixty-seven page manual is any is any indication, I'm not. I'm not banking on having a whole lot of access, um, either to the players or maybe even to the ballpark. Look, we're all, we're all journalists, you know, and we all want to go where the story is. And I, if they come back and play, it's going to be a huge story. I'd love to be there. And I would love to be able to tell the story of what's happening and how they're doing this and how they're pulling it off and, and, uh, and, and help to help to tell the tale of that beyond just what people are going to get to see on their TV. Um, mm. uh, but we'll have to see how it plays out. I'm told that, um, there's not going to be a whole lot of discussion of the media piece of this until they get further down the road in terms mm-hmm. of figuring out their protocols for the teams. And then who knows? Maybe they'll, they'll even, you know, from what I understand, they're not going to get too into the money thing until they get the, pro- the health and safety protocols right. set. And then mm-hmm. they'll get into the money thing, and then maybe somewhere along the line they'll get to the media piece of this. Could, but-
2: could you see yourself, because we've all done it probably in our lives, but not at a pro level, like covering games off the TV, like, and, and, you know, cause he, the inquirer is going to say to you, Hey, we, we need something. And well,
0: and that's going to also be another question about the health of media organizations, whether they're going right. to the, not just not the, just the cost of sending people elsewhere. If you're not going to have access to clubhouses, right. There's, there's also the question of health and safety and whether you want to risk people traveling at this point. Am I right, Scott?
1: You, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't know if I have this overwhelming urge to, Hop on an airplane right now, um, but you know, look. I mean, I've heard I've heard things talked about uh, in terms of how these games might even be televised. Like I- I've heard that there's a possibility that you have you have the the broadcast crews on hand at the ballpark at home games, and then calling the road games from their homes, the way Carl Ravitch and Eddie Perez are on ESPN and the Korean mm-hmm, games, right? Now, if they're not going to let the broadcast crews travel with the teams and give them access to the ballpark on the road, I don't imagine how road media is going to have access on the road. All right. So, yeah, we might have to cover road games from from home off a of TV, which is less than ideal, uh, and do Zoom calls with Joe Girardi and with the stars of the game after the game. I mean, that's it would be a brand-new world, and obviously there would be a, an issue there of, like, you know, we all know how important one-on-one interviews are for the jobs that we do. It's what separates us from a lot of other places and a lot of other people. And if we can't have access to one-on-one interviews, that's that's going to limit how we do our jobs, too. So it's definitely been on my mind, and um, I'm, I'm really anxious to see what what, what uh, baseball has in mind and then um, what, the, what the Baseball Writers Association is going to come to them with and say, well, here's what we need and here's what we want. Everyone's got to... Understand it's not going to be normal, but if we could get access
2: to the ballpark, that would be a start. Because I think a big part of the of my enjoyment or most people's enjoyment is you watch the game. You know, you hear what Fransky's saying or what somebody's saying or whatever, and then you get to read about it. You know, you get to read guys like you uh, or calmness or more, whatever. More, they, than, more ba- take
0: on more it. baseball than any else. And I'm not just saying that because I did pro- baseball primarily. For my I career. think
2: football too, Kevin. I think to a large degree now. I think there's a lot of that. Right,
0: but because baseball's every day through a summer and there's something ingrained because of the schedule, I think that's one thing that that it's become kind of tied in with the sport. And, Mm -hmm. you know, look, it's going to be a tough dilemma because there's a lot of different components in this too. And 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 the thing is, if you
2: you miss a football, you you don't miss a football game. You know, the football, there's 16 of them. I might miss a baseball, you know, Cincinnati Reds game on a Tuesday. I'm going to read Scott to find out what happened. Right. Yeah, guys can, you. You, guys
1: can prob- you guys can probably speak to this better than I can because it's been a while since I've been in an NFL or NBA or NHL locker room, but I think our access is a little bit better, too, in baseball um, than the, it is in other sports. The pregame I think. especially. Yeah, yeah, and I think the, the accessibility to one-on-ones is a little bit better in baseball, always has been. I don't like, you know. For instance, you know, I'm not sure you're walking in and getting Carson Wentz one-on-one on on a on a random Um, Thursday if you want him. Uh, You've got to ask your question in a press conference, or you've got to know exactly how to get him. Or, you know, in baseball, it's a lot less formal in that way, and it's something we've, it's a kind of access we've enjoyed over the years. I think it's helped us tell stories over the years, and I would like to hope that uh, you know, even if it's not this year. Uh, even if it's, uh, you know, when we all come back to spring training next year, that, that that returns. So we'll see. I mean, I think that's a fear that everyone has is that if we don't have, if we lose that kind of access now, we're not going to get it back.
0: It's it's also it's an interesting part of a dance because the BBWAA, which is the governing body, uh, not the governing body, but the the advisory council that we uh, as baseball writers had have a lot of the things that Major League Baseball leans on us with and not just Major League Baseball, but the Baseball Hall of Fame and everything. They do have some weapons at their arsenal that if they want to really push this, they could do that with MLB, but that's an issue down the road.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think kind of what you're saying is, I haven't heard any conversation about specifics. I don't think, like I said, I don't think anyone's even there yet. No. But let's say, you know, they said, okay, no access to ballparks, home or road. BBWAA, it's a big stick to pull out, but they could always come back and go, okay, well, then we're not going to vote for the sign award this year.
0: Or the MVP, or yeah,
1: the MVP because we weren't in the ballpark and we don't feel right about that. And so, mm-hmm. this will be the year where there was no MVP award. And, and I, that that's a decent negotiating uh, 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 tool to have at your disposal if you're trying to get, you know, a little bit.
0: And and I believe this was the first year they were going to do a whole televised award ceremony based on that, kind of like the NHL and the NBA do. So uh, that's something that actually does make some money,
1: and that's all. Like I said, like I think it's still, still way, way down you know, the road. Yeah, absolutely. down the road to be discussed. Once they, because, because if there's no health and safety protocol in place for the players and the teams, and if there's no financial agreement here, there's no season. So we're not going to have to worry about any of that. The other
0: stuff. Scott Lauber joining us here. Uh, before we get into the book, flat out prediction: Are they back or not?
1: <laughs> uh depends on what day you ask me that question. I mean, some days I say yes, some days I say no. I'm feeling yes right now. I'm feeling like they're going to try. Okay. Um, I don't know how far they'll get, but I do think that they're going to try. I think they'll be able to come together for a spring training and, and see where it takes them. So mm-hmm. I I have a hard time seeing them just saying, all right, we're not even going to make an attempt.
2: Yeah, I can't see. I don't know if it's going to come off, Scott Lee, but they're going to try. There, there's no way in my thinking that they're not going to at least go to spring training and, and you know and try to get to the start now things might happen that might get in the way at some point but I I just I just can't see them leaving all that money on the table I I and I'll stick with my thing that the logistics
0: of doing this yeah. are way more difficult than the NBA or the NHL
2: yeah but don't you think Kevin that there's going to be like you've been saying for
0: there's going to be a lot of political pressure on them too. Oh, sure, they're going to he- they're going to hear from the White House. I mean, you have Andrew sure.
2: Cuomo talking
0: about it. You have uh,
2: absolutely. Uh, and I just think it's going to be too and- much. Yeah, I just think it's going to be too much to say we're not going to try. Like they might try and fail. I, I yeah, um, but I, do
0: I know. actually think we'll have an opening day? No, I don't. I don't. See, I still believe. I, I believe I that we'll get to a spring training. I believe there'll be some agreement, and then they'll realize how difficult the logistics are going to be, and say, you know what. Guys, we can't do it this year.
2: Now, if they get to spring, the clock training, will run out. The
0: clock will run if out. If they basically. get to
2: spring training, the only thing that would stop it at that point would be a health issue. Yeah, I know. that's the only, that's the only thing that would stop yeah. it. And I think if they get to that point, they've crossed the biggest hurdle. I think, you know, but but maybe I'm wrong. Scott, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, I think I think Mike's right there. I mean, I think if they get to spring training, uh, health health would be the only thing, and uh, I mean that's a huge thing. Like. Sure. You know, I was talking the other day to Larry Boa, and he said, look, we've all been in clubhouses. We all know how it works. Guy gets the flu on Monday, and by Friday, 12 guys have the flu or some kind of flu-like symptom, uh, and that's the flu. So, um, you know, I do still think there's the issue of what happens when uh, the virus is introduced to a clubhouse and they go through their protocols of isolate and contain. Um, Does it work, and are there going to be a number of players at that point, once it's invited into their clubhouse, who go – See ya. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm going home. Why not?
0: Why not the Florida or Arizona play? Arizona obviously makes because the the, the temperature in Arizona would be ridiculous in August. I mean, you you've covered games out there. I've mm-hmm. been there once or twice. You can't play baseball in 120 degrees, no matter how much you tell people to suck it up. But those planes seem to have a little more of a, 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 a an element where you can control the the uncontrollable. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, look. I think baseball saw when they proposed. Look, those were the first two plans that were that were spitballed, right? It was the you know the Arizona biosphere containment plan
0: of all, 30. and then the
1: Arizona Florida split plan. And they saw enough players say, "I'm not doing that." Like, I didn't sign up to leave my family in the middle of a pandemic for four months. There's no way that's going to happen. And what I think is interesting about the the protocols that are outlined in this manual, the 67 page manual is that it seems like the road protocols are a lot more similar to a quarantine situation than home where they want, they want restrictions on how the teams travel. You know, you have to use the same flight crew on the same planes and all that. There's, they all have to stay in the same hotels. They're not supposed to really go out or do anything. It's supposed to be hotel bus ballpark, bus hotel. Like, you know, it's it's a very kind of like rigid system of how they want to do it. It's kind of like what we were hearing a lot of the Arizona proposal was going to sound like. And at home it's different. Like guys can live with their families and they can drive to the ballpark as they go don't go to lunch. And,
0: I mean, you know, they could go to yeah. lunch on their own. Yeah.
1: You know, and so it feels to me like they're trying to like combine those two things. Like they're trying to appease the idea of like you have your freedoms. You can do whatever you want. You can live as normal as you can possibly live in the middle of this whole thing. Um, but on the road, just you can't. On the road, you've got to just be in in your little bubble. And so, I wonder. I wonder whether that's you know they've sort of melded some of these plans together to form this these protocols that they've come up with.
0: Let's get to the book, uh, Scott's book, The Big Fifty. You've done a couple books. You did one with Sarge. Did two with yep. Sarge, correct? One.
1: One. Nope, just the one.
0: Just the one. Uh, what what was the mindset behind this the big 50 and explain the concept to uh, to, to uh, listeners so
1: it's a uh, uh, it's a series by Triumph Books and they've done it with some other teams uh, in baseball and across sports I think I think there's a flyers one out there I think Sam Carciti uh, co-wrote the Flyers one and uh, the idea is basically to um, uh, it's two parts it's basically to come up with uh, uh, a list of 50. Um, and they really leave it up to the author. So 50, you know, people, moments, years, games, uh, that, that over the course of that franchise's life have defined the franchise. And then the second part is, you know, so each one is a chapter and then you, you attack each chapter. So what I wanted to do was, um, tell some stories that were either new to me or, um, you know, or or uh, that I thought would be new to most people. I mean, let's face it. If you're writing a chapter on Mike Schmidt, you're probably not going to break a whole lot of new ground about him. He's written a book of his own. You know, he's been in the public sphere now for 40 years, more than that, almost 50 years, you know? Um, So what I wanted to do was find stories that I could tell that I was like, Oh, I didn't know that or tell them from a different viewpoint. So I'll stick with the Schmidt example, you know, going back through his career I kind of stuck on 1985, and he played mostly first base in 1985. And I thought, all right, well, if Mike Schmidt played first base, who played third? Rick Shue. Rick Schu And Rick Schu, as luck would have it, was working on the Giants coaching staff last year. And when the Phillies were out in San Francisco, I sat with him and talked with him for a while before a game about what it was like not just to replace Mike Schmidt on the Phillies, but to replace him while Mike Schmidt was still on the team. And it led to some funny stories and some interesting stories and uh, kind of told a little bit of a, of a story about Mike Schmidt through a different viewpoint than I had ever seen before. So wherever I could, that was how I tried to tell some of those stories. And uh, some in some of those chapters, I was able to do that better than others. Like, really can't do a whole lot with, um, you know, Grover Cleveland Alexander. No. Um, but, if you um, found
0: somebody who was like a teammate at Grover <laughs> Cleveland, I, I that would know, have been its own book. His number, his number two guy, you know, who right, got right behind him in the rotation.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know. So uh, there's only so much you could do with some of them, but uh, where I could, I that's that's how I tried to approach it.
2: You were around. <laughs> go ahead, Mike, I'm sorry. I'm just curious. I, I hope one of the fifty is the '64 fills. Yeah, which which I was a little too young. I was just but Black Friday in '77. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, Black Friday is
0: its own chapter. They both, they I both had their own
2: five chapters.
1: Yeah. You know, and look, black Friday was one where I, I could really just tell the story of what happened because what happened in and of itself was so extreme, right? I mean, they were a strike away, yeah. uh, and, uh, from going to the world series and intent, what was the famous Conlon line, right? Like, uh, uh, in 1964 it took 10 games in in uh, on black friday it took 10, Ten minutes, minutes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah you know and, and it just all like for my money that's the worst loss in franchise history so it, it has to be I agree it, but it then you
2: know the, the funny thing is though we had to sit through the rain and I was at both games the next night Carltons on the mound and Chubb Feeney made him play in the rain Tommy, and they lost like 4 to 1 or to whatever to Tommy John right to Tommy John yeah. and um and we I was sitting in I mean, we played in a downpour. It was great. It was it was it was total Philadelphia. It was, it, Shades it, of um, total.
1: You know, for me, like that whole that whole whole way that that played out, like that's like '86 Red Sox Mets, where like everyone thinks about the yeah. Buckner game, and the Buckner game was spectacular in in its in its in the collapse of what happened. But they still had another game. Yeah, yes. Like, and and had the Sox- leading game seven.
0: Had the leading game the seven. Lead. Yes.
1: And yes, it had it the lead. So like Black Friday was. Epic in in its in in what a failure it was, but they still had a chance to win that series. And it did. Yeah,
0: happen. that's almost like everybody talks about game five and in, in 11 in the NLDS, right. where everybody talks about, oh, you know, Carpenter beats him one nothing. That series was lost in game two. That's right. Cliff Lee blowing a four nothing lead after you've basically you blew out the Cardinals in game one. You overwhelmed them and you, you have a shot to put them down two zero and go in there. And there's never a game five if if Lee holds on to what he's supposed to. Well, do. it's like in the
2: 2009 series where, um, what's his name's up three nothing in game three, right? Hamels. At Hamels couldn't, yes. you know, and Rodriguez yep. hits the home run down the the right it's field the foul pole or whatever. Yeah. Yep. I mean
1: – I always go back to the to game four of '09 though the double steal, the Johnny Damon double steal. I yep. still feel like or Lynch yeah,
0: doesn't cover
2: third.
1: Uh, someone didn't cover third. No, oh, that's to this right. Day, I, nobody oh, knows he was supposed to cover that, third. Right. Do you remember oh, in yeah. do you remember in 2010 they came to spring training and on the first day they practiced that practiced play practiced
0: that play and it was always yeah. the it was always the pitcher that covered.
1: Yeah. It was always yep. the pitcher but that covered. But I remember covered. I remember hearing like four or five different guys give four or five different answers about whose job it was to cover third. They didn't know. They didn't know because you know teams were just just starting back then if you think about it now to shift like yeah. that where there was only one infielder on the left side of the field and you know Johnny Damon, smart play, to try to take, take another base, knowing that nobody knew who whose yeah. it was to cover.
0: John Stolness, our buddy who uh, runs the, uh, well, did the uh, the blog or uh, the, the podcast, uh, Hidden Season, mm-hmm. had me on a couple of weeks ago, and, and we talked about this. And I, I want to get your opinion because you were around for, you were still here in 11, right?
1: No, I was gone by, I was gone in the middle of 10.
0: In the middle of 10, okay. The argument was, what was a tougher loss for the Phillies, 10 or 11? And I say Absolutely. 10. I think 10 because of the idea that you had Halliday in his in his best, at his absolute best. Hamels was great that year. He, he whipped the Reds in that series. They had Oswald, yeah. and they had Worth. And you compare that to what happened in 11, where their offense kind of tailed off at the end. Howard was injured. No Worth. I mean, I know they traded for Pence, but that was a little bit of a mess. I always felt – and – Compare the opponents. The Giants with Albert, I'm sorry, the Giants had Cody Ross and all that, as opposed to what the what the Cardinals had, which was still Pulhos. David Freeze had an incredible playoff, and you still had Carpenter as the ace at the top of the rotation. I'll just play
1: devil's advocate. So the Cardinals had to like play their butts off to get into into the playoffs, and we all remember how the season ended, right? I mean, the Phillies swept Swept Atlanta. Atlanta. If they and Michael Martinez, right? Yeah. Best catch of his life. If he doesn't you know, if they don't sweep,
0: Cardinals are not
1: even in the playoffs and it's Arizona in round one. And the Phillies Cardinals go on one of these like unbelievably epic runs from September all the way through the World Series. They had the great World Series against Texas game six, the yeah. David Freeze game. The Freeze game. You know, that team was never ever supposed to win the World Series. So and the Phillies of course had this rotation of of everyone's dreams. Um you know, with Lee being back, Lee and Halliday. Madsen was still.
0: I, Madsen was great as a closer that year too.
1: Madsen was great. I, look, watching that from afar. I mean, I still remember where I was that night. I was covering. I was at the Boston Herald, and I was covering the ALCS, which was going to start the next day. And I was watching it at a sports bar in Texas. I was the guy on a on a on a Friday night. In Arlington, Texas, who asked them to put the baseball game on instead of whatever college football game was on. High, that school night. Football, yeah. <laughs> yeah, high school football, yeah, yeah, high school football. And uh, you know, I saw Howard go down. Like it was just the whole convergence of everything about that loss. Um, you know, it was the end. You knew it was the end uh, for that group. Except they didn't. Uh, the way except that they didn't ended, know. They didn't know. They didn't know. But I mean, I mean, Howard goes down. He was never the same player again. Um, it was, you know, it was the last win of Adam of uh, Chris Carpenter's career. He never won another game after that. We all know Doc wasn't the same after that. So um, I just think, you know, because of all the dominoes that fell after, you know, that 2011 loss was right. was such a gut punch.
0: But comparing that t- 2010 Giant team to 2011 Cardinals, there's no doubt what roster I'd rather have. I'd rather have the Cardinals.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Cody Ross, I mean, had a Pepper- – series. Yep. Aaron Rowan, the revenge of Aaron Rowan, right? He was on that team.
0: And uh uh was it Jose Uribe hit the home run? Uh yes. Uh, yep. Down the right field line that plopped into the first row. Juan Uribe, Yep. Or Juan Uribe, Not Jose yep.
2: Uribe, Juan yep. Uribe. One of those Uribe's. Yes. Uh Mike. I <laughs> uh, just uh, what was the what was the most fun chapter you had doing?
1: I liked any one of them where I was able to, like like, like the, the Schmidt shoe thing, where All I was right. able to find something. I had fun. Um, so I talked to a guy named Chris Welch, who is now a broadcaster for the Cincinnati Reds. He, he had a very, very short career, uh, played for the Padres. He might have had another team in there uh, that he played for. He was a, a left-handed pitcher. And I found out that he uh, played in, co- in his senior year of college. His pitching coach was Robin Robbins. So I got with him, and we talked about what it was like to have Robin Roberts as your pitching coach. Ooh. And it gets better because it turns out he was born in Wilmington, Delaware. His dad was a huge Phillies fan, and his dad was a huge Robin Roberts fan. So his dad flipped out when he found out that Robin Roberts got the job at uh, UCF, I think, it, uh, or uh, USF? whatever the... so
2: Was that? it Alabama, somewhere in Alabama? No, 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 That no. no, was in
1: Florida. It was in Tampa. Um, was in Tampa?
0: That's, that's USF, I think. USF.
1: Yes. At USF, uh, his dad flipped out that when he heard that Robin Roberts got the job there and that Chris was going to be back for his senior year. And he tells you know a bunch of stories, one of which that, that I remember was he goes to the bullpen. I think it was his first bullpen of that year, and he's feeling pretty good about himself. He, he'd gotten drafted uh, the, the, the year before and decided not to sign, but to stay in school and go out for the draft again. He was that confident in how good he was. He was the best pitcher on the team. And he goes out and he throws this bullpen. And Roberts doesn't say a word during the whole entire bullpen. And then after it's over, uh, he looks at him and he says, well, what'd you think? And he goes, lefty, you ain't getting anyone out in the big leagues with that. (laughs) And it was like, huh, what do you mean? And like so many of of Robin Roberts's lessons were intuitive. It was like, well, if you just grip it like this and you do it like this and you throw it like that, you're going to get the guy out this way. And the pitchers would look at him and go, yeah, we can't do that because we're not great like you. You know, um, that was a fun one. I, I, I found Chuck Klein's nephew. Oh, Um, really? that was a fun one. And he was actually a kid. Um, he was old enough. He was about seven or eight when Chuck came home from his career. So he actually knew his uncle, uh, and, uh, lived really close by in, uh, in, in, uh, in rural, uh, in, in, uh, together. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, I found him and that was, that was a fun chapter to work on. Um,
2: was, was there a hard one to do, like one that you found really tough? Um, I guess the old
1: ones. Um, I guess, the, you know, you had to get into – obviously there had to be a chapter on Grover Cleveland Alexander. There had to be a chapter on the 1915 pennant. Um, what saved me on those chapters is that there was a book written uh, by a, an ex-Phillies pitcher who was actually on the 1915 Phillies team he went on to work in his second career for the Inquirer, covering the Phillies. He actually covered the Whiz Kids, Stan Baumgartner, and uh, he wrote this book, and co-wrote this book. And there was elements of the book like he could write it from, he could write about like the 1915 season from the standpoint of having played on that team, and so there was stuff I could draw from there. But obviously there were no, there were no interviews, original interviews that I could conduct for those that, chapters. That, so it was a that, lot of research.
0: Was there the old timey baseball writing in that, like you know the. Oh my God. Oh
1: yeah. yeah. There was old timey English period. Yes. It's just like, it was like reading a different, it was like, what, what does he mean by that again? Yeah. Like the horse hide. Yeah. Like, you yeah. Know. Oh my God. Yeah. It was filled with that. It was so much fun to kind of like look through it and pick through it and, and figure out, all right, what does this mean? What does that mean? What's he trying to say here or there?
0: I got to admit one of my favorite things used to be in the press box where Todd Zalecki would occasionally break into the old timey <laughs> announcer voice. You'll, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it basically is like, you know, hearing like Brock Meyer, like back in the thirties. Yeah. So yeah, that's Scott, great. Scott, Lauber, uh, congratulations on the book. It's upstairs. I should have brought it down if I knew how to use a prop. Um, but uh, I
1: appreciate Well, you're it. excused because I, I, I like right before I got on with you guys, I was like, where, where is it? I don't even have it right <laughs> here in my office. So mine's downstairs. So uh, we're, we're both, we're both guilty of I, not having a prop.
0: I love that you have a picture of the news journals, uh, front page from the day they yeah. won the World Series behind you. I got a picture of the couriers front page from the day yeah. they won the World Series behind me. And neither one of us are working there. And they're owned by the same company. It's unbelievable. So, I know. Scott, I thanks know. a lot. Times change. Thanks a lot, man. Good luck. Uh, stay safe, man. Stay Whatever safe. happens. And uh, hopefully we're getting too, you guys. Hopefully it's back to work soon at the ballpark. That, so.
1: Sounds good. Take care, guys. Thanks,
0: Scott. Scott Laubert, uh, Mike, hang on. We'll be back right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way? This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work of the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports craze town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. Join us at 267 546 7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or beat at gmail.com to join the Working the Beat podcast family. Our thanks to Scott Lauber for joining us here on Working the Beat as he, again, I have the book upstairs. i have about uh, halfway through it. It's very good, and it's very entertaining. Uh, both him and Todd Zalecki both have books coming out from Triumph Books, uh, Todd's Book on Roy Halliday is out this week. Um, and they both deal with a franchise that has a ton of stories to tell. So uh, you should pick them up, especially as we get into that summer reading season, which is always good. You know,
2: the amazing thing about that franchise, Kevin, is when you think about it and I don't, I mean, it, I don't know when they were started, 1880, 1883, yeah, 18, 1883. Okay. For the first 70 years of that franchise's history, there's like only one moment. I mean, there's a couple of individual oh. moments, but I mean, they 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 were they no went, doubt, the they worst were. franchise or one of them in the history of professional sports.
0: They went to the World Series twice in their first seventy seven years of existence,
2: and no, I think it's more than that. Wouldn't it be?
0: Well, they went 1915.
2: Well, 1883 to 1950. So you're talking 1980 was only their third
0: World Series, and it was the 98th year of existence.
2: Right, but you said no. You said 78 originally. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 78. But they went to two World Series, and in those two World Series, won one game. Yeah. And the 19 Eddie Barkowitz always used to bring this up. I thought it was a great point. The 1950 team is revered in this town for getting swept by the Yankees. Now they lost three one-run games that year. I don't care. I, oh, I, I get know. It. And they didn't have they didn't have Kurt Simmons because he had been called into in the service. National Guard, right? I understand all this, but they're revered for losing in four straight to a great Yankees. You know, those it. Yankee teams back then were great because we had nothing else.
0: Well, that was the thing. There's, there was that, that, you know, uh, the, the franchise that won, I think, four or five World Series in that time moves. They won
2: five straight. Right, 40, 40, 47, 48 to forty-seven through. No, no, I'm talking. I'm talking the A's, the one who shared town with them. They won three straight pennants. In right, they won five 30, overall.
0: They won five overall.
2: Yeah, they had some great teams around 1910 to 1913 or 14. Connie Mack broke up the team for financial reasons and then built it up again. I and I mean they they were great when Babe Ruth and Gurig were on the Yankees. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but but that but that's so far removed from anybody. No, but that, who's like a Philadelphia?
0: I, I think the point is that the reason they were beloved for a long time was the fact that they stuck around, as opposed to what the A's did. I think if well, the A's had stayed, it would have been totally well, yeah, different. I
2: don't know. Was it a divide? I mean, were there A's fans and Phillies fans? I I don't, I don't know. I don't know because I don't know any A's fans. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I mean, by the time I came around, and I think that's why '64 was so hard on a lot of people because it was going to be their third, you know, look, they, they were going to be in the world series. I don't know if they would have beat the Yankees or not, but it, you know, it would have been like a really, really, really big deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, then you get into the seventies and they lose those three straight playoffs. But when think you thought maybe they had the best team, at least one or those years, maybe. But
0: think about it, even since 70, we'll go 73. Okay. When the yes, we can guys came in. Okay. And you were getting Schmidt and Boa. But I
2: was seventy five. Yeah, yeah, you are right. Seventy three. The seventy three films were in
0: contention a little bit. Okay,
2: Yeah, seventy five. I think was the first year. That was when Dave Cash came over. Right, and that's when you could see like a light kind of on the horizon, maybe. Um, but th- I mean, they've had down years, but they down years they stunk for twenty years from eighty four to if you take out ninety three. There was a twenty-some year period there where they were
0: bad. Did you? But but think about this, okay? They were bad, but not like hundred. Lo- they were like they were not hundred loss bad. You know what I mean? Like, but they
2: were bad. They haven't they lost hundred games since '62. Yeah, but if that's your benchmark for being, I mean, so so they lost '92 or '93 or '97 a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. What's the difference? I mean, they they weren't. Relevant except for ninety-three, which as we found out, was just one of those things that happened. Blue Snow
0: you know? year. Yeah.
2: Right. And and every franchise has those, but the Phillies franchise has had two periods in its life. Yeah. Think about this. They've been around for 140 years, and they had the period in the late 70s, you know, to the early 80s that got them to a World Series and got them back to a World Series. And then you had the period from 2007 to 2011. But think about it.
0: But think about the That's period. It. But, I mean, compare <laughs> it to, like, the Cubs,
2: where the Cubs were bad from 45 through. But the Cubs before that won, you know, were, for 40 years, were not always a horrible team. Right. They won World Series. They got, you know, they,
0: they got to the World Series.
2: Know. Well, I mean, I'm going to guess off the top of my head, because I'm they, they probably went to six or seven World Series, Won a couple of them, um, what the Cubs? It, well,
0: the Cubs then win from oh eight. The
2: well, you're right, oh eight. But I think they got. You're right. You're right. No, no. I, no you're, you're thinking of
0: right. the Red Sox. The Red Sox would go to World no, Series. No,
2: and, no, no, I was thinking this for some reason. I was thinking, and the Cubs got to a World Series like forty three or something, or 45 forty five
0: to sixteen. And that was the was goat year, right? That's yeah. when the
2: guy put the, GOATs the GOATs goat on them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so so here's the Phillies' motto: We're better than the Cubs. Cubs.
0: <laughs> Pretty much, but the
2: Cubs were more beloved. But the, the the difference was though the Cubs were beloved.
0: Well, yeah, and and I look at I look at it like you know?
2: this, like
0: compared. I think it's almost better to have been a Cub fan or a Philly fan than it was a Red Sox fan because the Red Sox had so many close calls up
2: until. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, but I mean, the, I mean, the you live, you live through Ted Williams. They had Carl your But that's kids. almost
0: worse, that, that you get so tantalizing close and you can't get it.
2: Well, was it tantalizingly close in 77 and 78 for us? No. If 80 hadn't happened, we would have been sitting there doing the same thing. You know, yeah. Black Friday got mitigated a little bit because they won three years later. Um, you know, and, and and now the Red Sox <laughs> become the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Unbelievable. yeah, it's, it's – it's weird. I mean, you know, um, and, and to do it the way they did it by beating the Yankees coming back from 3-0 after the way they lost it the year before that. I mean, it's just – I mean, 86, I can't imagine. Oh, that was brutal. 86
0: was – I wasn't yeah. even – I'm not even a Red Sox fan. I found 86 brutal. Uh.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember watching game seven – with a friend of mine who was a Red Sox fan, and like you said, they were up three zip early. I think in the game, yeah. And, and Ray, we're sitting and there. Ray Knight running. went nuts, and he knew they were going to lose. Yeah. I mean, he knew. We're sitting there watching the game.
0: I think Bruce. And Hurst he goes, "They ain't, ain't,
2: ain't going to win this."
0: I think Bruce. <laughs> I think Bruce Hurst was the starting pitcher in that game for Boston, who was really good. Uh,
2: and yeah, I mean,
0: like he lost. got overshadowed by Clemens, but he was really good.
2: There are some franchises that just. You know, the Phillies were one. Because I don't think anybody nationally cared about them. At least the Cubs had, like, a national kind of lovable Cubs, you know?
0: Like, I would say right now the franchises in baseball, the franchise in baseball that I feel almost has earned that t- is the is the Indians. The Indians have almost become the new Red Sox and Cubs.
2: Yeah. yeah, they, haven't because, won, yeah. they haven't
0: won since 48. They've had two heartbreaking World Series losses. Ninety-seven when they lost to the Marlins. Ninety-seven
2: was worse. Six. Well, even uh, they were up three to one, but the Cubs were favored. You know, but yeah, yeah. Well, sixteen is yeah.
0: six, uh, bad because Rajay Davis hits the home run. You tied a game after you were down like five nothing.
2: You tie yeah, but the even game. before that, you're up three to one in the series. I yeah. mean, you know, you don't. But
0: ninety and then a rain delay hits and the Cubs can regroup and they go back yeah. and win the World Series.
2: But ninety seven, that team was really good. I mean, that team and Maces on the mound, you know, and and all they got to do is get through that inning. They lost to Florida. You know, I mean, they're both bad. I mean, it's it's like you say, which was worse, ten or eleven for the Phillies? I
0: I think they both
2: were so. bad. Yeah, both well, they both they both were bad. I mean, you know, um
0: important to note: we're going to get into the Memorial day topic here in a second. Uh, we've, I, I mentioned this earlier in the show before Mike came on, uh, we're going to have Ruben tomorrow on in the next uh, couple of weeks to talk about. Wow. Yeah. Okay. R- Ruben's joining us. Um, Jim Gardner has agreed to come on. Okay. Um, we talked about that round table. Uh,
2: what, what is Ruben doing now?
0: Ruben is where, where where's he at? Ruben uh, is working for WIP. Uh okay, as but a baseball he's not a third,
2: right he's not on a team, right? No, no. Okay. And he's going okay. to
0: do uh reportedly he was going to do some postgame work for NBC Sports Philadelphia. Gotcha. So uh but Ruben's agreed to join us. We'll talk to Ruben about baseball and all that and um you know talk about you know what he's doing. That'll be part of it. Uh like I said, Jim Gardner has agreed to join us. Um the
2: round table You can ask Ruben which you could ask Ruben which was worse ten or eleven. I, I thought of that. Well, no, I think we should. I think we should, too. He was, you know, he was a big part of those teams. You know,
0: Ruben gets knocked a lot. Um, Ruben did a really good job for a long time here. I mean, the, the run ended while it was on his watch. But Ruben's Ruben took over in a tough spot after a team won a World Series and kept them really good for a decent number of years. And then the injuries happened and they got older. So I mean, you know,
2: well, his problem was was Pat Gillick responsible for what happened or was he? And then you get into the whole um Pat Gillick
0: so, doesn't make the Cliff Lee the, the 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 trade that gets Cliff Lee here in 09. He doesn't.
2: Okay, but what I'm saying is then they traded they 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 they, they traded Lee the same day they got Halliday. Right? So but, I've, but told, I've, told, I, I've I've been told that wasn't Ruben's fault. That wasn't Ruben's fault. Okay, but what I'm saying is, is Gillick responsible for Victorino and Worth? You know, that's where you get into that whole who gets the credit for what. I don't know. I'm not going to say Ruben didn't have anything to do with it, but I think Ruben gets blamed for not keeping it going when when it got bad, um, whether that's fair or unfair. I I don't know. You were down all the time. I was not.
0: I would make an argument that the bigger question was whether they let it go too long whether they got too sentimental with some guys. Well, that
2: was Giles. I mean, well, but, that, you know, that was but, Monty. That was David. Well, I mean, I meant Monty. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, but, I mean, I go back to the, what were they going to do? If you trade it, they went to the World Series in 09, okay, and almost won the World Series against the Yankees. So if they had traded, started trading guys in 2010, what would have been the reaction well, in this town? No, I'm. It's, uh, Mike. Well, that's what, Mike, I'm saying that the point is at eleven. After you mean after eleven? After or, eleven. Well, yeah, but see, I think it was a moot point by then, Kevin. I don't think it matters. Well, it, well it, after eleven, Howard was no longer Howard. You couldn't trade him. He was hurt. Utley's value at that point and Rollins' value had gone down. I don't see. Well,
0: Rollins had signed a contract that off season, Remember. Right. After the 11 offseason, he signed a contract to come back. So who were you going to trade, Utley? No, I would have maybe let Rollins walk. After when? After 2011. He was a free right. agent. Okay?
2: Oh, and then they signed him. They okay. signed yeah. him.
0: They signed, yeah, I... like, the A.J. Burnetts of the world and Papelbon and all that. They were trying to patch it, okay. and it didn't But work. how
2: much longer did Rollins play with the Phillies? 12, 30 like how much longer?
0: Into f- fifteen or into fifteen, okay. I think. Maybe, okay, maybe so fourteen or fifteen.
2: If you would let him walk after going after winning one hundred and two games, what would the fan base have said? I don't know. Just, see, it's easy now to say that. Well, and that's like one of those things.
0: That's one of those things. You know, and I haven't talked to Ruben about this, but it's one of those
2: things. It's a tough call. Well, it's an impossible call because unless you keep winning, you're not going to get it right. So, and and, and It's funny. It's
0: almost like on a lesser scale, it's almost a question like Jerry Krause and what we get back to the last dance. And Jerry Krause tried to get ahead of that curve.
2: Yeah, but there's a difference. They won six titles and they had the best player in the history of the game.
0: I agree, but there's also a point of you look at Bill Belichick and the lack of sentimentality that he's had. Uh, in a lot of cases, you look at what Chad Cross obviously had.
2: Yeah, but he had Brady through the whole thing. Yeah. You know, there wasn't, yeah, you, you can fill in around the greatest quarterback to ever play. Um, either, it, they're different circumstances. The, the, the you know, go back, I remember when they signed Ryan Howard, and I didn't think at the time I didn't it, think was it was a, was a good bad deal. Sign.
0: I didn't think it was a bad deal.
2: That's fine. I just thought that at the end of the deal is the end of all deals. Albert Pujols' deal was a bad deal. but at the Prince time, Fielder you know, was worse. Every deal that's a long deal. Pedro Martinez, in, in the history of sports, almost every deal that's a long deal when a guy's a certain age. But if Philadelphia had let not sign Ryan Howard, what are we talking, 2010, was it? Yeah. Okay, there would have been cries of racism because he's a black athlete that they weren't going to give the big money to. There, there would have been, the Phillies would have had all kinds of PR issues if they had not given him the money. And then two years later, it's like, well, why'd you give him the money? You never, there's no win in those situations. It just isn't because you're overpaying a guy, but knowing going in that you're going to be overpaying him at the end of the contract. It's just, there, there, there's no right or wrong answer.
0: And, uh, and you're right. You and, know? And, and obviously part of this is the fact that you're going to, you're going to, Pay a price at some point, point. and yeah, look. Always the Ryan. Always. Howard, I'll make the argument: the Ryan Howard contract was better off than the Pulos contract, than the Prince Fielder contract. Uh, but which,
2: that doesn't make it good. It, it doesn't, doesn't make it good, but it, it's less of the, the. only person that might, some point in his life, I mean, maybe Mike Trout will sign a contract that he never outlives. I, I, I don't know. Every person outlives because you get a thirty-two-year-old guy or whatever, that you're going to give a five- or six-year contract to, mega-dollars. The
0: Tom Brady contract, in a lot of ways, for Tampa is not a great contract.
2: It, it's a totally different situation, no. though. I mean, it's, it's the best quarterback. of the. They're, they're trying. They haven't won anything. They've been bad. They're trying to infuse things. That wasn't the case with Ryan Howard. Right. Ryan Howard was just a guy who had been in your organization, who had been really good and who wanted never, MVP. Who never had a big payday. No, now he's getting it. And and if at that point Phillies had said, you know what, Ryan, we don't think you're worth this, the outlash from the fan base would have been
0: been unbelievable.
2: And you did go and win 102 games in 2011, even though you could see the signs that weren't all there. They won 102. It's a franchise record for crying out loud. So it's just, you know, once he went down in that heap in the batter's box. That was it. it. all she wrote, you know, so uh, uh, who knows
0: Memorial Day weekend is here. Um, you know, a lot of, as uh, you know, as we mentioned, you know, obviously some people are going to go away to the shore. Others are not. Some are going to go away to, despite the warnings uh, Memorial Day to me, Mike, I I always felt Memorial Day was like the real kickstart of a baseball season. Like you have opening day and everything, but by Memorial Day, you have a really good idea on, the way pennant races are and everything. And that's what I've missed so far. Like it feels like I'm going to miss this weekend. Having, having baseball around this weekend always feels like, you know, it's a big deal.
2: Well, not this year,
0: not this year. Now, what do you what, well, do you, what do you, what do you, what are your plans for Memorial day this weekend?
2: What are my plans? I'm going to sit in my house. Like, I've well, you're not, house.
0: well you're not a barbecue guy, right?
2: But Kevin, my plans would be, if I'm going to put the grill out, that me and my – I'm not inviting people over to my house. No, I understand. I'm not going to somebody. Well, so what's the difference what I do? I'm asking – I mean, I, if I grill a burger, I'll grill a burger. I'll grill a steak. Or I'll, but the weather's not supposed to be that good anyway. So, you know, if it was a normal Memorial Day, I'd probably be going to somebody's house or going to visit my daughter or going to visit my son or – it's not. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's going to be people in my neighborhood, people in your neighborhood that will be having cookouts at their house and inviting people they shouldn't be inviting to their house mm-hmm. because it's over.
0: You went golfing this week. What was it like?
2: Uh, yesterday. It was, um, you know, it was different, uh, but it, how can I explain it? I went with a friend of mine, so we went down to Glen Mills, which is a very good golf course down in Delaware County probably not far from Paul Hagen. And I rode in his car, which is the first time I've probably been, I, put, I had gloves on a mask on. He had gloves and a mask because we didn't want to take two cars, which is whatever you get there. It's a little different in that you, that you can't get out of your car until like 15 minutes before your tea time or something like that. You know, you go over, everybody's wearing masks. Every it's, it, There's only one person supposed to ride the car. They put, Two bags on a car, so one per We would take turns walking. When it got near the end of the day, we were so tired, you know. Then we both rode a couple of times when we probably shouldn't have. But my, everybody seemed like they were, you know, trying to adhere to what you were doing. And on a golf course, you really don't come in much contact with people.
0: Did they, you know, they have? Did they pin, uh, pull pins or, or? They
2: no, we didn't touch the pins. The pins were in, and they had little um, things in the cup that kind of made it so the ball didn't go down into the cup. Um, so you only touch your own ball, you know, I wouldn't touch, I'm sure there's once or twice during the round where I probably did something I wasn't supposed to quite inadvertently, you know, maybe, I don't know. I tried not to touch anybody else's balls. I think I picked the tee up once that, that probably I shouldn't have because it was probably somebody else's tee. Um, you know, and we played golf and, uh, it was fun to play golf, um, you know, if I had it, I don't think my world would have ended. But the fact that I did, it didn't make my world. But it was just, you know, a chance to get out and do something for a day. I'm, I'm, we'll probably go once a week or once every two weeks uh, until they start relaxing, I guess. I See, I'm of the belief that we can't start relaxing our rules. And I don't mean that that doesn't mean people shouldn't go back to work or people shouldn't go to the beach. Or people shouldn't go to the boardwalk or get a haircut or once they they allow that to happen. But you still have to be responsible about the rules. Like, to say that we've gotten to this point with 90,000 deaths, and everybody is, regardless of what side of the equation you're on, the, the social distancing has helped, you know, a lot more lives maybe. Why would we go back on that? Like, why would we start not wearing masks? The virus is still here. Virus didn't go anywhere. It didn't check out and go to Rio. What is so hard for people to comprehend about that? I don't, but it's almost like, okay, we're going back now. We're opening. We got the yellow flag. We're going to get the green flag. So now I don't have to be as careful. That's the part I just, I, 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 I get that like,
0: you know, and I've been out more. And I've been out more, and I've worn the mask, and you do everything. I have a thing, a hand sanitizer with me. But I got, like, my car washed yesterday. And, um Yeah, you, know, you go through, and it's one of those car washes where you pull the car up, and you get out
2: and,
0: you know, walk and wait and pick it up at the end. It's one of those. It's a place on Ron Street. I think you know. Where not,
2: it's the, not the drive through one.
0: It's it's not. It's one where it's a drive-thru. I,
2: I know what one you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or, but you get out and go, and right. uh, you know, I did it, and you know, it felt good to be a little bit normal again. Uh, as if you take the precautions, I think you're okay. Um,
2: you know, there, but, there, what, there, but what do you mean by precautions?
0: You wash your hands. You put a mask on. You. But see, people aren't going to do
2: that. That is the that problem was that was ever.
0: well enforced yesterday. Okay,
2: what I'm saying is technically right now we are still under stay-at-home orders. Right. I am not supposed to invite my two best friends, let's say, to come over this week to have a barbecue at my house. And and I agree supposed to. I'm not supposed to go to their house. That's where the chain is going to get messed up because people are going to go to the beach without a mask. They might sit six feet from you. They might not. Okay, they're going to go up on the boardwalk and they're not going to have a man, not everybody. So, what is that accomplishing? I don't, because we have a yellow flag now. Yeah, you know, the boardwalk's open, go up to the boardwalk, and we hope that you adhere to all the rules. There was an interesting quote from a fire chief in one of the Jersey towns, Avalon or Stone Harbor or something. Mm-hmm. This is the fire chief now, or guy who works. He says, I ain't going nowhere near the boardwalk this summer. Why would he say that? Yeah, I know. I, well, I we say we. Here's the problem, Kevin. We say we know. You're a smart guy. I'm a smart guy. We say we know, but you know, you'll see pictures this weekend of people saying, "I know," but
0: I'm not going to do it. But there's also, I also believe there's idiots at every turn. I mean, so
2: that is true, you can, and all is Mike, you, Mike, all you but can. That's do- why you put rules into effect. But all you can but do, but people are now saying the rules aren't good. Can't live by these rules. Okay. Fine, then but we've lived with them for six, for, for 10 weeks. And we've maybe cut the number of people who've gotten, and I'm not applying this to workplaces. I'm not, that's a totally different issue in my book about people having the right to work and make money and put food on their table. That's a different kind of question. The question is whether I want to walk on a boardwalk or, 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 or. But that's a personal choice. Not a personal choice when people are dying, Kevin. It becomes not a personal. Personal choice is not okay. It's been ten weeks now, and and they're oh. telling me that we're going back, so I don't have to listen to these things anymore. That's what they're telling you. Well, okay, fine. It's a personal. You know? It's a personal choice in this sense.
0: If you don't feel comfortable going, you don't go. Uh, if the state is opening up like this, okay. If the state has opened up boardwalks, or if municipalities have opened up boardwalks and everything, you don't right. feel go- like going, you don't go.
2: But if those people get sick and bring it back to Northeast Philly, Kevin, what good is it doing? I. But then the- they're giving you the, they're giving you the middle finger. They're giving the person who works in a hospital, who's been going through ten weeks of hell, and is looking at maybe a resurgence at some point in their lives. They're giving you the middle finger. They're saying you don't matter as much as me. That's my problem in all this, okay? Okay? If you want to do what you want to do, I got no problem as long as it doesn't affect me because I have rights too, okay? And I'm not saying your rights are any more important than my rights, but if they infringe on my rights, I might have a problem with that. You know, and that's the problem in all this. How hard is nobody saying you can't go to Boardwalk? Just do it responsibly. What is so hard about that? And why can 70% of the people do it responsibly and the other 30 say, no, nah, I'm not going to? And and when people come up with a good answer for that for me, then I'll say, okay, fine, I'm, I'm wrong. You know, but... Uh, The one thing everybody agrees upon in 1918 and today was that social distancing stems the tide of this and helps and has gotten us to where we only have 90,000 deaths instead of, as as the administration has continually told me, if we didn't shut down the country, there might have been a million deaths by now. A million deaths in a country of 300 million or 350, that's one in 300 your chances are of dying. Yet they've told me the reason why we didn't have that was because we've stayed in, we've worn masks, we've done all these things. And and now, because it's Memorial Day and it's summer, we don't have to do that anymore. Okay, fine. That's, I think people are wrong. I think you, you should open, do things, just do them responsibly. But people will not do that. Not all people, some. So... Okay, that's fine. You know, I'm okay. not going to stop them from going and doing what they're going to do. And
0: I should point out, I'm not going anywhere this weekend. I am doing. I am. But not if going- you
2: did, if I decided I wanted to go to Wildwood, okay, I'm going, and I have a mask on, and I stay six feet away from people. There's nothing wrong with that, as far as I can tell. But that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. You know it. I know it. The world knows it. But, you know, my wife can cut my hair in my house. It ain't might not look like it's going to look. And that doesn't mean that somebody that goes to a barbershop that that has the social distancing stuff. The person cutting your hair is going to be right on top of you, I do think.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, well, so somebody has to explain to me how that's social distancing. I but maybe I'm the idiot in the room. <laughs> it's okay. Um, But, you know, and it'll happen the 4th of July. It's only going to keep getting worse because the the weather's going to get nicer and things are going to start opening.
0: Yeah, around here, it sounds like the weather's going to keep it, things down yeah. a little bit. So that'll be a benefit. Um, we do think on this Memorial Day weekend, we think of those that have paid the ultimate price for, uh, that would be the reason why we have the Memorial, memorial Day yes. weekend. Uh, yep. I, I come from a high school where, a father judge, where 27 uh, gave their lives during uh, the, the Vietnam War. And I think of them often on this weekend. Uh, so think of the veterans who have lost their lives and given everything over. On this memorial, they maybe put a little extra meaning yeah. in it as we uh, – So
2: that you have the right to go to the boardwalk. Exactly. You have, the, you know, the right to go to – you know, restaurants are going to be opening. Um, I mean, guy, you know, I say that. I mean, God, we're still two weeks away, at least from that, in southeastern Pennsylvania. So maybe – but at some point, pe- restaurants are going to be opening and hopefully doing it the right way. And, and we're all going to go out to restaurants at some point and, you know – And like I said, if if everybody did it with common sense and smarts, we could alleviate a lot of the problems and still get back to our normal, quote-unquote, normal lives. Um, I mean, I haven't seen my daughter in in 10 weeks. Does it stink? Yeah, it stinks. But the alternative is to say what? Screw the world. I'm going to go down and see my daughter. And if God forbid I get sick or she or somebody gets sick, ah, that's that's the price. You know, I, I I don't when it comes to work, I do buy that. Uh-huh. I understand anybody who wants to argue that they need to make money. And that's a, that's a valid argument. You know, find a way to open up workplaces and find a way so that people can live. But, you know, the, the fact that I got to have my best friends over to my house to have a cookout because it's Memorial Day and that's my right. You know, okay, but, you know, my best friends will still be there two months from now or three months from now or whenever it is that we feel safe to do it. Yep. You know, and I'll know when it's the right time for me.
0: And a, uh, one final thing before we go here, uh, uh, sympathies going out to, uh, Angelo Cataldi, whose mother, Ida, um, passed away today at a 98 years old, uh, Ida Cataldi in Rhode Island, had uh, contracted the coronavirus, mm-hmm. had recovered. Wow. And fell, I guess, at the assisted care uh, facility she was living at or or at the facility she was at, uh, fell and uh, ended up falling and, and, and basically passing away. So she
2: survived the virus at 98 years old? Yes. And then fell. Yep. Oh, my God. So and An- and Angelo can't. I'm um, I'm assuming c- can't be with her. Yeah, I mean, I'm, no. I mean, she I'm, was
0: she was living in Rhode Island. I think her his sister was taking care of her. If I've heard okay. that on the. But I mean, air. even if
2: she was living here, right, there you, would be issues, right? she's I mean, sure. Yeah, and uh, that that's the saddest part of all this. I I think is that when people are passing, mm-hmm. um, that you can't, you know. And I'm not a big funeral guy. I'm not. Yeah, no. but but the family, it's important to the family. It's important to, you know, and, and now where we're they, they're letting you do it now, but they're limited to like 10 people, I think.
0: Yeah. It, you know, and we live, we both live around the corner from the uh, police. Uh, yeah. Sergeant. And, and it was funny, not funny, but you know, you would pass uh, Givnish, which is the funeral home on Academy road. And it's right mm-hmm. around from where Mike and I live. I literally can walk there from my house and, uh, Every day after the uh, the police officer passed away, there was a police car in the parking lot. And this was for two months, because almost as an honor guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and sitting there and protecting him. And, uh, you know, when they had the funeral, I guess last week uh, around the corner, um, right. you, you felt the relief for the family at that point in the whole neighborhood. Yeah. Because of what they had to go through to, See all this and go through all this. It was um, extremely well, – it's difficult my, in the best of circumstances, and under the worst of circumstances, it's right. excruciating.
2: My friend who I went golfing with yesterday, he, he a friend of ours that we know, he knows him a little better, his wife just died. She had a long il- illness, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And, you know, they, 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 they can't be a funeral. you know. Right. And I, I said, you know – and he felt so bad that he couldn't be there for his friend. And I said, your friend understands – I said, but, you know, in a, in a world maybe, like, if, if you had, you know, given let's say, even if you could just walk past yeah. keeping your six-foot distance and not go in, you know, not whatever, and if the family could stand outside, if the weather, you know, and at least you could, you know, they could wave to you or whatever, you could acknowledge, hey, you know, I showed up here as respect for your wife and for you. Because um, some of these things that have happened to all this where people get together and drive down a street, like, yeah. you know, which we've seen a lot,
0: Birthdays to
2: me—that's all. That's almost more touching. It is than, than having a funeral. The fact that people would, you know, take the time to get in a car, go down the street, you know, with signs out or whatever. I, I mean, I see those things and I lose it. And you're the son of a police officer. Yeah. So I'm assuming it means even more to you.
0: It does. I mean, um, and I know this through you know seeing people. You know, look. I mean, up here, whenever, whenever a Philadelphia police officer dies, whether it's in the line of duty or not, you know, there's a good number of them that get buried out of givenness because it's tied in with the city
2: yep. in some form. Yeah. And um Order one down on Frankfurt Avenue near me. Yeah. Floors is
0: it? Floors. It, yeah. But it, you see, you see the procession and everything, and it, it, you know, it's yeah, gets a lump in your throat. So.
2: Oh, it's it's look, Kevin. Boy, this I, is. I, I don't, I mean, I don't mean to go preachy about when I talk about what we should be doing. I just think common sense has to rule the day. I get it. And I understand people have been out of work. There's a lot of issues here and I see our country getting divided and it's hard, but you know, you see things through this that you say that's what makes our country.
0: All right, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for joining us everybody. As we, uh, as we continue onward as we, uh, Try to get through the next few weeks as we look at what's going on in the world of sports as it starts to come back. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Thanks to Scott Lauber for joining us. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Stay safe. Don't do anything stupid. This has been Working to Beat. Well,
2: you went uptown riding in your limousine.